I've been thinking much about that, how, um, how Charles Dickens has this uh, ambiguity uh, with him, or at least the way he's perceived in, in one way, he is so much, so much celebrated. He has been on the uh, pound bill, the British pound bill. He is, uh, uh, all his uh, novels have uh, been made into movies and everything. Mm -hmm. He is very celebrated, but among so many intellectuals, it's kind of embarrassing to, uh, to enjoy the, uh, the work of uh, Dickens. Mm. Uh, and there are so many, so many uh, single examples, like, uh, like Virginia Woolf, uh, who lived at the same time even as, uh, as Dickens. She said that if I met him on the street, I would not have dinner with him. Okay. Because uh, she was very much into that literature and uh, an art, she said, was supposed to have some impact on society, oh. to, to have this political uh, message to it. And that's not Dickens. Although he is, he is critical towards many things happening in the society with uh, how children are treated, how the poor are treated, but it's uh, in a very humane way. Mm. So after reading it, it's not so much necessarily that you want to change society, but you want to, to change yourself. So uh, people have read uh, Dickens and uh, uh, people who uh, lived at the same time as, as uh, he did started celebrating Christmas. That was not popular uh, during uh, uh, Dickens' time. It was really? kind of... Um, <laughs> It was looked at as something that the poor people celebrated just to have some little joy in their lives, but it was not romant uh, romanticized or it was not uh, something that everyone celebrated and wanted mm. to be like good to each other. Uh, but he definitely made with A Christmas Carol, made Christmas into something very personal and something that uh, something very sentimental mm. uh, now you can see at at christmas time even in in norway uh, who have a population that is very uh, unsentimental during christmas everything sentimental is allowed it's allowed to watch sentimental movies it's allowed to to uh, to decorate your home, to decorate your uh, yourself, everything is so uh, things that one would look at as being pathetic mm. is allowed during Christmas, and that is very much thanks to to Dickens, and um, and um, I think that's something that is interesting to discuss and try to. Um, argue for the values of being sentimental because he is as you say so extremely sentimental and um, um, Oscar Wilde said after uh, having read um, Oh, Little Dorrit wasn't it? No, uh, no the, uh, the Old Curiosity Shop where Nell the main character um, yeah, yeah. or at least the central character dies uh, at the end of the book, uh, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> he says it's impossible not to cry when little Nell 
dies, mm. it's impossible not to cry of laughter. <laughs> because you think it's so sentimental, so mm. ridiculous. Mm. And um, that has been in academia and in among intellectuals, it has been kind of uh, lurking beneath the praise of Dickens. Mm. It's, uh, it's, not, uh, because it's, it's not kosher to... Because it's writing in that period where the whole fine art principles established themselves, <coughs> so it's, it should have been more so-called modern, and that becomes a little embarrassing uh, part of it. Yeah, I mean, but think of, it, of uh, Christmas Carol. It is a fantastic illustration illustration of this uh, mythical idea of, you know, it sounds so politically correct to to have a you know like a bad guy who loves money, mm -hmm. and that sounds very very political, but. Yeah, as I've understood from Joseph Campbell, the point is not the money, but that he is too attached to the time. So basically he's thrown out to this grand mythical landscape. Mm. And you only get that through that, that uh, great uh, intensity, great uh, sentimentality mm. and you know, uh, great grand emotions. And uh, I, mean, I, w I was um, reading Bleak House and... Maybe I should uh, just uh, read something from it. Yes, yes, please. Because it's, uh, again, a spoiler alert, uh, Esther Summerson turns out to be the daughter of Lady Deadlock, who mm. is the image of the contained, speckless, uh, noble woman. And uh, we don't have to go into every detail, but uh, this man who loves or is in, in love with Esther Summerson sees the similarity between Summerson and uh, Lady Deadlock and visits her and so it becomes she understands that that's her daughter and she's married to Sir Lester Deadlock who is also typical nobility and of course they don't have children he's much older than her and they're in this grand house in London as Sir Lester basks in his library and dozes over his newspaper is there no influence in the house to startle him not to say, to make the very trees at Chesney Wold fling up their knotted arms, the very portraits frown, the very armor stir. No, words, sobs and cries are but air, and air is so shut in and shut out throughout the house in town that sounds need to be uttered trumpet-tongued indeed by my lady in her chamber to carry any faint vibration to Sir Leicester's ears. And yet this cry is in the house going upward from a wild figure on its knees. Oh, my child, my child, not dead in the first hours of her life, as my cruel sister told me, but sternly nurtured by her, after she had renounced me in my name. Oh, my child, my child. Mm. <laughs> and that is, I mean, you, you can't get more sentimental mm. than what he's, do, what he's, he's doing here. And... But, but also this, yeah, this animation of things and Rembrandt-like portraiture mm. in, the, in, in the description of the characters, spending a lot of time just describing how they act mm -hmm. without it being, again, without, without any action, real action going on. It's... it's um, hmm. 
in 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 one way it's it's easy when when living in in these times that criticize the sentimentality it is easy to see why he's criticized but i i do think it's um, it's a value to manage to see to see beyond that and and um, and actually look for what uh, how can i say it what uh, appears so so obvious when when you read it because when reading it when when reading dickens many of the scenes that are so sentimental they do bring joy to the reader mm. and uh, it is <clears throat> at least during christmas times very popular to watch uh, uh, movies made or series made out of uh, dickens novels mm. and um, and uh, but still he has this um, he has a lot of characters where one of them or some of them are really good they are like saints almost and he's criticized for being one-dimensional in um, in his character description i i totally disagree with him yeah uh, or or with with the criticism yeah. there uh, but that's um that's one of the criticisms and also that the villain is all is often very evil um, instead of being more complex um, but i i just think that's uh, that's getting into the wrong, wrong track, in a way. To to start looking at um, at at those kind of um, those kind of uh, judgments that are easily made on literature of today, where everything is or very much is supposed to be um, to be internal, but he describes very much the actions of the characters. So the the characters are uh, developed through what they are doing or saying, mm. and um, um, well, yeah. I, I'm thinking about. I heard or I read somewhere it was some um, contemporary novel, and I'm thinking of what I've read in, in Nietzsche's *Birth of Tragedy*. This thing of the Apollonian and the Dionysian having it together, and you can see that there are contemporary authors that devote a lot of time to sort of a formulating a sentence and it's sort of like a purely aesthetic relation to it where mm -hmm. to show that they're good at at making words cling right mm -hmm. but what you what you find in in uh, dickens is that all of these descriptions enhance the character enhance enhances the story mm -hmm. It's not j just to show that I'm good with words, right? It it always always drives the story somehow. And I, I was re I remember reading um, uh, sort of twist, isn't it? I fortunately I read it in, in Norwegian. But there's there's the scene where this this uh, woman is beaten by her her boyfriend, mm -hmm. and as he is beating her. He is this. He is described from what's the word is being used, that he's her boyfriend or whatever, and then suddenly. The murderer does this. The murderer did that before she's mm. dead. Mm. And that's that's the uh, that's the thing that you find in uh, also in um, in uh, uh, Ibsen, right? 
that things are pointers that are really quite clear um, but still it creates a, a immense drama mm. and that's how you can manage to do that to have clear pointers to some because that that's that's a really quite clear um, language right he is a murderer he will become a murderer but he's mm. he's been called murder before the fact and that he pulls it off with no problem at all yeah And <clears throat> another aspect um, that is interesting is how he has this um, he has this uh, faith in humanity at uh, through his novels. Although he's so, uh, as we have uh, talked about, he's so critical towards the system, towards the law uh, or the practice of the law, and uh, towards uh, uh, all. The poor people and how the uh, children are treated, and um, but still there <clears throat> there is some as as an author he's almost um, it shines through that he's shocked in a way that that the world can be like that or that humans can be like that, and that is something else mm-hmm. than. Uh, Critic criticizing society like with yeah. a fist. It's like yeah. not that he's angry at how how it is, but it's more that how do we let this happen with our common men? Mm. And um, and as you s- uh, say with with Lady Deadlock and Sir Lester Deadlock, mm. these very rich people that one can at first. Uh, glance think that maybe oh it's uh, criticizing the high society and everything but they are good human beings they are just uh, they're just trapped in their situation Uh, lady deadlock didn't know about her her child and um, and she dies from from regret and from shame from how she has ended up treating her uh, her daughter Mm. and also how and <clears throat> i think i think that's um, the relationship between lady deadlock and sir lester deadlock is to me one of the greatest tragedies in dickens how um, how sir lester um, actually loves her and uh, loves lady deadlock and she has this mask on her whole life imagine having mm. that mask on your whole life just to keep the facade and just to mm. uh, and and thinking that if he who is like the number one in society if he found out how mm. shameful i have acted from by getting a child with a with my first love um, outside of marriage he would leave me at once and disgrace mm. me and i have to to have this mask for his sake and for my sake and everything and in the end he would not have cared no. he would he he would have well, accepted her say something like that if she only knew how little i cared yes i would have cared if it had come out you know. yeah and and yeah. and that is so um I think that's so central to his yeah. uh, to his uh, authorship. Yeah, and that that's where you have this this thing about again. I always come back to that persona, the mask, and what is behind it. Mm. 
and <clears throat> that's what struck me because it's so primal. So she goes from this this perfect mask to this wild figure stretching his, her arms up, mm -hmm. and it's com it's left you know thou shalt completely. Mm. And it's com completely, you know, sentimental. So it's it's um, you can read <clears throat> you can read Dickens, and th in the same way that you see Ilaire uh, Epstein's "I'm the Terrible," and think, "Oh God, what happens? You know, what could happen if you follow the rules of society as uh, very obediently? It, your life becomes a complete tragedy." Right? Mm. And you you can see that in in uh, Dickens and really learn from it, mm. and it's also <laughs> so jumping from one thing to another. But um, you know, actually, first time I started reading Bleak House, as it got stuck in that description of the the law case, the 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 John Dice and John Dice in the beginning there, um, but I, I didn't get into it. So now reading it again. Speak that speaking of that is a way of m making things into to, to uh, what do you call it a conscious being. Mm. This law, this this uh, lawsuit, that just eats people, mm. and how it becomes a, you know a, a matter of destiny. There's no stopping it. It grinds and grinds and grinds. And how is this? The description about I think that's where the snow falls or whatever, or it's the suit from the factories or whatever falling down like like a veil of, of sorrow or something like that. Mm. It's, it's it's a grand grand perspective that that he he uh, lays out there, and and he has I mean I think he's he's one of the best at characterizations. Yeah. When you have all of these people that <laughs> have this. These ideas of helping other people, this this uh, societies that they're engaged in, and uh, what's her name with Boreobula somewhere, someplace in Africa, where where she, oh, yeah. where she still help help these people, and of course her <coughs> house and her family is just completely in a mess. Mm. I mean, not just like in a bit cute way, but I mean in a catastrophic way. Yeah. So she just mis not mistreats, but don't treat her children. And that the, the, her husband, who who uh, uh, who uh, is so used to just being run over, that he at the end of a meal he would typically try to say something, and they just no, it's, <laughs> it's no use, you know, not say anything. Yeah. And then when you have uh, Caddy, her daughter, who sees she has to get out of this. Hmm. And she uh, falls in love with Mr. Prince Turvey, Turvey Drop. Like, who, who the hell gets that kind of name? Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, she wants, to, wants to, uh, to marry him. And then it happens. And then the father is like, remember, don't have... Like, what, what, father? What? Yeah. What what should I have? Shouldn't I have Prince? She, she, because she, you know she's taking a big step. She loves them, yeah. but she has to move on. And I don't have great plans. <laughs> like, don't do it because yeah. you destroyed the the world around you. Yeah. So I mean, in that sense, like you like you mentioned, it's not. This description of, of Lester Dedlock is not like, oh, here's an evil capitalist or evil upper class guy. Mm. 
because you could equally well see him as completely slaughtering all those people with good intentions. Mm. Because in that <laughs> in that wedding, when all of this, of course, they know other people are engaged in, in this uh, this uh, great plans for women liberation or whatever it is, and none of them, first of all, cares about their own family or the cause of the other people. Mm that have their great cause. So they, they don't really care about other people. And so is it, that, that's basically what, it, what he's slaughtering. And then, then mm. like, like you mentioned, what he's coming in with is this individualism or this humanism mm. to say, you know, look at that person, no matter how rich you are or whatever. I mean, that's a strange notion today, but yeah. <laughs> that's basically what, what he's doing. It's like not picking sides as such. Mm. I, <clears throat> when I heard that uh, that Dickens was uh, highly influenced by the philosopher Thomas Carlyle, I uh, very much made sense. Not that I know too much of Carlyle, mm -hmm. but uh, he was very uh, he was very not obsessed, but very um, interested in the actions of the hero or the great man mm -hmm. and and he said that all history has been made of great men and if you remove the actions or, or if you remove the importance of the action of great men and replace it with a recipe uh, an idealistic recipe mm. you dehumanize society so and and there's so much in that value statement mm. to replace the actions of great men with ideology, with a recipe, you dehumanize society. And that is at the core of Dickens' uh, authorship, mm. I think. And you can see it in, in what you said. She uh, who cares about the children in Africa is, uh, is driven by ideology. And therefore, everything else is dehumanized for yeah. her. Her family and everything is... Uh... And it's so great because uh, Caddy, who uh, is Caroline, I believe, who marries Prince Turveydrop, she hasn't been taught anything. So everything is a mess, right? But she understands she has to take herself you know, together to learn, you know, uh, housekeeping and all of these things. So Esther teaches her. And she's basically illustrating this whole idea of Jordan Peterson, you know, clean your room mm. and how, how that can make people around you react if, they are, if, that, if there's no culture for that in the family, right? Mm. So she, she pulls herself up on her own accord, by her own will. Mm. And I think that's where you're talking about. This is in, that's where you're talking about what, what Ayn Rand says also about what um, you know, literature or whatever can do for you. You have these ideas, these images in your head. You know, if she can do it, coming from that level of society, then I can do something similar, right? Yeah, and, and, and that was actually one of the um, criticisms uh, from uh, Virginia Woolf of Dickens, was that after having read a novel by Dickens, you want to change your own behavior. 
you want to become a better human being. And how would that be? Because person? you have to change society, not yourself. Oh and um, yeah, so they are uh, on the very opposites. Mm. Uh, mm. I'd say. Uh, and it strikes me that he is, you know, if you should put it very popular. Uh, in a populistic way, you could say that why you read literature is because you get somehow like free experience. Mm. You get to experience it emotionally, and that is almost well, not almost. It's a bit easy to say it like that, but it gives you the sort of the experience of having having um, done it right, or or having gone through it. And I'm thinking of of uh, for example, in Great Expectations, that he's so good at it. When he meets uh, what's his name, that this the, the, who's who's been a galley um, on the galleys. Uh, anyway, yeah. the, 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 his benefactor. He thinks it's um, yeah, I forget all the names. He thinks it's this rich one, right? Mm -hmm. It turns out that it is that slave or a galley slave that he helped when he was a little boy, mm. and he has then tried to distance himself from his uncle who is of course very low class and try to be very fine and it, and uh, when this uh, former prisoner confronts him he's like what? i didn't demand you to distance yourself from your family yeah. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> he just did it because he, he thought it would be accepted in high society right mm. and uh, then there's a situation where he understands that you know all of this again like that lady deadlock all of these rules following the rules of society is just killing your life killing your possibilities and i think that in that way dickens fills that mythical function mm. that realigns you with what what is eternally valid and not just and, and that that's another uh, argument you could say that because of course he is very much placed in a time yeah so you could use him you could use uh, Ibsen you could use Andrew Wyeth to say that you know you can make eternal masterpieces out of something that goes on in a specific time mm -hmm. have you thought about uh, anything about that yeah um, not In, to me, it just I it's it's placed in a setting mm. that is his time, but when when reading it, it it doesn't, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter, mm. uh, and um, so I'm I'm not sure how he manages that, but he he does mm. in a uh, in a specific uh, way. Um, well, I guess it's the same as as uh, with Melville then that he he animates it and makes it so grand i mean like this suit whatever falling down yeah, as an example of grief then yeah. it's no longer london in that specific year mm. oh so you were not thinking about the the paragraph with fog everywhere the introduction oh but that because that's wrong oh, you, this yeah. reason. fog uh, uh, in the introduction describing london mm. fog everywhere Fog up the river, where it flows among, among the green aids and meadows. Fog down the river, where it rolls defiled among the tires of shipping and the waterside pollutions of a great and dirty city. Fog of the Essex mar marches, fog on the Kentish, Kentish heights, fog creeping into the cabooses of Collier Bryce. 
sprigs, fog lying out on the yards, and hoovering in the rigging and great ships, fog drooping on the gunwales of barges and small boats, fog in the eyes and the throats of ancient greenwich pensioners wheezing by the firesides of their wards. Yeah, and more fog. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, but, yeah. in the beginning there is so so amazing how he he starts with you know describing the courts and then he sort of it's like when i think about it without repeating everything he says it's like he flies over the court and then takes one sweep and comes back to the lord chancellor mm. and takes another sweep and it goes steadily more into to the specific uh, thing that he's going to talk about mm. and th and i think that's perhaps Part of the key that uh, no matter what it is that is being described is being well like you just read too yeah. fog is be become some something with a will mm. and whatever year it is or when these buildings are made they are subject to, <laughs> to fog yeah and and also to to do, go back to your question about him being uh, being uh, having a setting of his time mm. Maybe he succeeds uh, doing that because exactly because he is sentimental. Yeah. Because yeah. he has managed to, uh, it's, it's actually a masterpiece to manage to create Victorian London. He creates, creates the understanding of Victorian London. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, and that is a masterpiece to do when living in those times he manages to see it from the outside sort of that's that's how i describe that i would yeah. see uh, victorian london if i visited it being uh, being from today and going back there and seeing seeing these um, all the um, different characters and it that was the capital of the world at that time the largest city by population and the, in the most uh, powerful uh, nation on earth it was the center of the world and it's so easy to just criticize it instead of doing what he does creating this magic around it although being making it into a, not a magic one-dimensional magic of uh, magic of uh, being just um, just uh, something something uh, entertaining but also something tragic also something uh, with this very unique atmosphere just imagine if 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 you were supposed to write a book or paint something uh, or um, uh, or make a movie out of um, a place today and make it as Dickens does with London mm. How would that be and, and what city would it be? Thank you for checking out this clip from the Cave of Apelles. If you want to watch the entire segment, head over to caveofapelles.com donate and become a $5 patron. That will allow you to access all our Dark Flame episodes, bonus material with our featured guests and more.